Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today my guests, private investigators and computer forensic experts Bob Raddus and Johan Lai, will discuss data theft, those enemies within. Your data is at risk. The more mobilized people become, the greater the hazard is to the proprietary data that's stored in any business. Your bank, your stock brokerage, your confidential product, your financial information, anything is at risk. Smartphones, tablets, flash drives, and email make it extraordinarily simple to move data and confidential information from one location to another, possibly without detection. Bob and Johan will discuss the risks and provide tips for your protection. And let me just tell you a little bit about Bob and Johan. Private investigator Robert Bob Raddus is the director of forensics and marketing for ACTForensic.com Incorporated. He served 31 years with the Orange County Sheriff, California Sheriff's Department. His last assignment was as a lieutenant in the high tech services unit, supervising 20 reserve deputies and volunteers in uh, technology related crimes and the departmental support units. He's also a certified public accountant and a certified fraud examiner. He's a member of the California Society of CPAs, Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, and the California Association of Licensed Investigators. He's a graduate of the FBI White Collar Crime Course and the California Department of Justice Computer Course Series. He has qualified as an expert witness in several California jurisdictions, and he regularly participates in fraud examination, gathering, and analyzing evidence. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Nancy. How are you today? Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And then private investigator Johan Lai is the chief technology officer and senior investigator for ACTForensic.com Incorporated. He received his best degree in computer science and computer engineering from California State University at Long Beach. He has extensive experience in the IT industry with Fortune 500 companies. He served as the IT manager and architect for headquarters and field offices actually around the globe. In addition, Johan is a graduate of the California Specialized Training Institute that's called CSTI, Hazardous Materials Investigation Course, the U.S. EPA's Advanced Environmental Crimes Course, and New Mexico Tech's Incident Response to Terrorist Bombings. IRTB course. He's been a post-certified, that's police officer standing in training in California, level two reserve police officers for 12 years. And his case experience includes such things as oil production and refinement, bottling operations, hazmat transport, auto importation, and other white-collar crimes. As an aside, Johan has been a professional firearms instructor certified by the FBI and NRA for over a decade. He spent two years on a federal environmental crimes task force as a special deputy U.S. marshal specializing in server-based computer forensics, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. And he's a member of the High Tech Crime Consortium and the California Association of Licensed Investigators as well. So welcome, Johan. Thank you very much, Francis. Glad to be here. I'm very, very pleased to have you both on the show. So, um, so Bob, tell us what we should look for on computers and businesses that their information is at risk. Well, that's okay. Um, the first thing is somebody who's not really qualified shouldn't be looking too much. Uh, the main issue uh, for a re- for an unqualified person to be looking at computers is if the case is going to go forward, If, you, for example, if you feel that there's uh, intellectual property theft from your company or uh, in the cases where I work a lot on the fraud cases and no offense to the bookkeepers who might be listening, but typically people with ass, ass, access to assets are the ones that we want to be focusing in on. 
uh, it's really important that that data that's on any computer, either the uh, person of interest computer or on the company network's computers, that that data be gathered in what's called a forensically sound manner. Uh, we use some specialized software to go in uh, either on individual PCs or on networks and gather the data uh, in, a, in a manner in which it can't be altered in the future. Right, um, right. The, just, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but the Windows operating system uh, has a tendency, actually it's not a tendency, it's what it does, uh, that anytime you access a file or make a change to a file, it changes dates and times. So if, uh, and no offense to the IT people who are working out here because, or listening out here, because uh, IT people's main job is to keep the systems running. They're mm-hmm. like firemen. They, they need sure. to put out the fire and keep things going. So, um, But once you get into a uh, Windows environment file and you change something, then the person uh, that's the target of your investigation is going to say, oh, well, I quit, you know, I quit and left on June 30th, and these file dates and times, they all say August 15th. I mean, it couldn't possibly have been me that made these changes. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really important if uh, you're in your company, you feel that there is an issue that's coming up, or you know there's an issue, maybe somebody's uh, gone to the HR hotline and, uh, you know, reported some uh, miscarrant deeds going on, that you do get in a, uh, a computer forensic specialist uh, f- quickly. Uh, our firm motto in, uh, is analyze early, I'm sorry, image early and analyze later. Let's gather the data and then take a look at it later uh, for several reasons. One, the sooner you get the data, the fresher it's going to be. It's going to have less opportunity to get changed. And um, there is a possibility, although it's slight, that the Windows operating system will overwrite data. Typically, when you, de- when you delete a file uh, in the uh, Windows environment, it goes into the recycle bin. Mm-hmm. So no harm, no foul there. You can recover it, uh, and that's real easy to do. But once the recycle bin has been emptied, uh, then it takes forensic software and somebody that knows how to use the forensic software to recover those deleted files. Um, basically, what happens is, in, in its simplest terms, when you delete a file out of the recycle bin, uh, the, computer's, the computer software says to the space on the hard drive, well, Alice doesn't live there anymore, and you can overwrite that space if you'd like to. Once data is overwritten... It can't be recovered. Okay. Uh, you might you might be able to recover fragments of it, but not the entire amount of data. And that's, now, that's why you have to get it as fresh as possible. Exactly. Um, and it, it's really important. The other thing is that uh, if you do have a case where you can't get a forensic expert in right away, probably your best bet would be to go to the person of interest computer. And you never want a computer that's running. You never want to shut down a computer that's off. You never want to turn on. So if your person of interest computer is running, the best way to freeze it would be to disconnect the internet connection. Hang on, Ethernet cable. Yes, I'm sorry. Excuse me a second. Hang that thought. We need to take a short break. Okay. Uh, I want to. That's really important information. We'll be shortly with computer forensic experts Bob Radis and Johan Lai. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Hi. We're back with Bob Rattus and Johan Lai. Bob, you were, I just broke you off in the middle of a sentence. You were just talking about the importance of leaving a computer running. So go ahead with that. Okay. Um, yeah, what, what I was saying was if, if you come across a computer that belongs to the person of interest, uh, because we don't like to say suspect or, or subject, <laughs> right. um, and I, I think that's the new buzzword. It's kind of <laughs> like politicians are now using the word folks instead of people. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So at any rate, uh, getting back on topic, if a computer is off, leave it off. Because if you turn it on, it's going to start changing dates and times, and we do not want that. If the computer's on, the best thing to do for someone that's not uh, uh, a computer forensic person, but you know, at least knows their way around the computer itself and, and the box, go to the back, remove the Ethernet cable, that's the internet connection cable. Pull the, mouse, pull the mouse cable and pull the keyboard cable. Now the computer can't talk to the outside world. Um, hmm. Assuming, of course, there isn't Wi-Fi. But you know, there, there's always something um, that uh, is, is a snag. But if you happen to see a Wi-Fi antenna on the back, you could probably just disconnect the antenna. That might help a little bit. The per- the, and the basic purpose of that is to preserve the data in its most pristine form. Then so that brings up an your... interesting question. If you have an employee that you're su- suspicious of, then you really need to come in and do your examination after hours. Uh, after hours is really good. We do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do that because uh, you don't want either the person of interest or their friends to be discussing it with them. Right. Um, and so we'll come in, like, in the late evening. We'll always... Um, bring a camera with us. It's a very important process. Bring a camera so you can take pictures of everything. So as, as you, if you move, or actually you will, move things around on the desk, you can take a picture before 
so that you can uh, get them back where they belong to begin with. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, P.I. sleuthy stuff. Right, <laughs> P.I. sleuthy stuff. All right. And uh, <laughs> you, you do want you do want to leave it as pristine as possible. Yeah. Um, then what uh, what we would do normally is uh, we might, uh, we would, it, just depending on how much time is involved and how big the hard drive is in the computer, we'll, we'll make what's called a forensically sound image of the computer on site. Now, it's possible that we might not be able to do it on site and we'd have to take the computer back to our lab to do it if it's going to take 15 or 20 hours. <clears throat> Pardon me. Our experience has been that in older computers that have oh, 80 to 120 gigabyte hard drives, and that used to be a huge amount of space. Today it's really not. That, that takes anywhere from um, four to six hours to make the image. Uh, so if you don't have enough time to do it on site, you're going to have to take it away. Yeah. If you've got a five, and, but nowadays you see even desktops with terabyte hard drives, and they take 12 to 15 hours to image. Um, then the cat's going to be out of the bag, and you're going to have to take the computer uh, either back to your office, or uh, I have on many occasions taken my blankie and my pillow and uh, spent the weekend at a client's I office see. doing okay. this work. All right. <laughs> with that, let me switch over to Johan for a second. Thanks. I'll leave you with your blankie and your pillow. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Johan, you, uh, your company covers a variety of things besides computers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yes. Um, as private investigators, we're licensed in California to perform all manners of investigation as authorized by law. Our emphasis happens to be on, on computer forensics because a, a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, a lot of the forensic work uh, sometimes can be missed without the the PI's perspective or purview, and I think that's what gives us uh, a, a bit of an advantage when we're engaging our customers and uh, working on a case. And chief among them, just to follow on the point that Bob had brought up, uh, some of the IT folks may be very well versed in some of the forensics um, practices without uh, formally trained because everybody watches CSI on TV and right. some of the tactics and techniques are actually very sound um, but uh, coming from an IT background and having a lot of friends that are still in corporate America working in the uh, large infrastructures sometimes that isn't always the primary focus and it's hard for the transition to think forensically meaning making sure that everything that is done can be held up in court Mm-hmm. And so you probably don't want your IT folks to be always thinking about, like, legal beagle because, well, quite frankly, the IT staff should be there to help the business to make money, and you don't want to detract them from that. Right. But so by the do... same token... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, but by, by the same token, I think for us, our experience is that we uh, get a lot of uh, traction and a lot of a lot of mileage out of our cases when we show the IT staff that we're not threatening them, that, hey, we're here to cooperate when practical, unless the IT staff is the person of interest, uh, then that takes a different tact. And we find cooperation because oftentimes they will know a lot more about their technology, their infrastructure, how the computers are laid out than, better than we do. Because one of the first things that we have to do uh, as an outside entity to come in to survey to see what we got because it's hard to conduct any type of investigation, um, even when it's not computer-related, to go to a crime scene and try to ascertain what are the priorities and what needs to happen first. So the, so the uh, computer forensics in, includes Internet, uh, email, uh, data recovery, uh, file, files that you would have for documents, just anything that is actually resident in your computer. Absolutely. And because of the changing technology landscape, it really forces us as computer forensics investigators to think out of the box a little bit and not to get pigeonholed into the computers, although that's usually where it starts. Uh, we'll receive a call from a customer and who is interested in, in retaining our services, and all they see is, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we, we got a computer here, and this, this, this is where the 
crime has occurred, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. So from there, we start asking the right questions, and that's where our PI background comes in to start exposing some of the other areas that they may not have thought of. Um, some of the simplest things as, as where are the thumb drives are, are they all accounted for? And are these personal thumb drives or are they uh, ones that are issued by the company? And what sure. about simple medias? Um, we don't think too much of floppy drives these days, but they're still around. Oh, and think so, very much about what kind of drives? Floppy drives. What is, oh, floppy, floppy drives, right. Yeah, yeah. floppy drives. What are those? Technology, <laughs> but they're still, exactly, but they're still around and, and people right. can still use that to store information. And what about cell phones? Do you guys do uh, do cell phones for Essex as well? We did a limited uh, number of uh, cell phone forensics, and fortunately for us, the cell phone field is starting to merge. In the old days, and by old days, like in any technology uh, arena, uh, a few years is old. Uh, when we first started dabbling into cell phone forensics, there was a myriad of tools that we needed to engage in and utilize because each company would develop their own way of, well, putting their phones together mm-hmm. and so it really made our, our job difficult and it was great for the uh, forensic tools manufacturers because they got a bunch of tools that they could sell it but now we have uh, a lot of the, uh, the operating systems are pretty much the same across the board and starting to be much more popular and so in some ways it makes makes uh, our job a little bit easier in terms of quantifying what is it that we have to deal with but it also changes the challenge in, in that the way that the information is stored and hidden uh, within those particular platforms uh, will require a shift in our tactics. Okay, and, and Johan, you mentioned thumb drives particularly or flash drives. If somebody transfers um, information from their office computer to a thumb drive, can you, can you follow that trail? Can you see that it's been transferred to a thumb drive? Sometimes you can, um, because the uh, log, by default, at least on the window operating system, is left on to show when it's been plugged in or when it's been taken out. And that's also a reason why in some of the high-security arenas, uh, large corporate corporations and even Department of Defense uh, has specifically prohibited the use of thumb drives. Uh, it's it's a real hamper on, on business because it, it prevents uh, mobility of the free flow information that is necessary to conduct business. But security is a trade-off, and uh, and and that's something that that uh, each company will have to judge and determine whether that's worthwhile uh, for for the kind of business they're they're engaged in. Somebody in the print shop business may not need to be too concerned about security at that level to prohibit all thumb drive usage. Um, but in contrast, other other companies uh, would would take that equation out of that variable right out of their picture by preventing it. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, there are ways that that a thumb drive can be tracked. Um, but for sometimes that's dependent upon the policies that is set by their IT staff. And so, and that's one of the points that I I was uh, going to bring up. In, in that a lot of what Bob and I have just talked about is in the response and recovery side and after something has happened, you know, what do we do? And right. I believe the emphasis that you wanted to bring to was, well, how do we prevent and mitigate some of this stuff? And, of course, all, all the while thinking that this could become, uh, a, end up in the courts somehow, so you have to protect the integrity of the work you do. Exactly, exactly. And to the extent that it's possible to bring the IT staff on board and understand that concept, the better off the company will be postured for any eventuality. It's just like if you keep a fire extinguisher in the house. Nobody ever plans to have fire, right. but it's, <laughs> That's it, a good it's nice to have that around. Um, and and so, so comes with an awareness of the forensic nature of evidence preservation. Because unlike in CSI, uh, you know, in the physical world where you have a piece of evidence and, and you take that away, it gets much harder to prove a crime. In the digital side, it's hard to show that evidence has been copied or taken because it's still there right. or removed or tampered. Okay. And so that's, uh, that, that, that requires a whole new uh, set of tactics and, and, and a way of thinking about preserving electronic evidence. Okay. 
Johan, uh, we need to take another break. We'll be right back to discuss more on data theft and those enemies within. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Is your electronic data protected? That's what we're discussing today with private investigators and computer experts, Johan Lai and Bob Radis. Bob, um, could you give us some um, examples of cases you've, been involved in and and what could have been done to protect the individual or the business on those cases and other tips you might have in protecting people's data? Sure, Francie. The, um, probably the most important thing, and, and I don't want to go into any specific case, but more of a generalization and things that we've picked up along the way. Uh, the most important thing is that people seem to want to share their passwords. Um, companies will have ex- what they, we, we call uh, employee acceptable use policies, mm-hmm. where they are. Uh, it's put in black and white. It's in writing, and, and people sign it. I will not share my password <laughs> with my office mate. <laughs> and everybody um, does it. And everybody does it. And guess what? Uh, if it's the office mate, uh, in in one particular case, I recall we had a problem um, where some attorneys in. Uh, excuse me for uh, bad-mouthing attorneys, uh, in, attorneys in one law firm were actually feeding the other side information. Uh, and I don't know that necessarily it was the attorneys. It could also have been the paralegals, so everybody should get equal blame. But um, we're actually feeding the other side of the case information using uh, usernames and passwords that they had borrowed from their uh, uh, compatriots at the firm they were at. This is a really bad thing to do, um, and it, I'm sure, probably had some huge ramifications. 
Um, another thing, especially within the uh, security area where, where you don't want to be sharing usernames and passwords, depending on your level of paranoia, each person can be issued a key. Um, it's not like a lock and key, but it's uh, the same kind of concept electronically. It's called a dongle. And what it is, it's a little, it looks like a little flash drive and you stick it into your computer and it allows you and only you to uh, access your computer. It'd be the same thing as having like a little fingerprint pad on your computer. Hmm. Um, The idea with the fingerprint pad is whoever in in there, you know, you can't get into it without having your, you're using your fingerprint. I think everybody's seen uh, these, you know, some of the movies where, the the uh, the hero in the movie will go along and get a copy of the bad guy's fingerprint and then kind of like maybe scotch tape it over his own finger and puts it on the fingerprint pad and then the fingerprint pad opens the door and they go in and get whatever they need. Uh, that's really not true, by the way. It, it doesn't work quite that way. I guess not, you'd have to cut off their finger to do yeah, that. Yeah, and even then, that doesn't work either because then the finger dries out. And, oh, that's like, that And it gets smelly and there's all sorts right. of problems. <laughs> yeah. But the, the dongle idea, I mean, that's what the idea of what a dongle does. Well, so, so would you recommend that even on your home computers that you could log in with a dongle? You know, it, it just depends on your level of paranoia. Okay. Um, one thing you might want to do is change your password reasonably often. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't do that. Um, and we're, I'm probably guilty of that, too. But yeah. people get you know comfortable with their password. Um, then they leave it laying around. Uh, most of us don't have on our home computers, uh, per, uh, well, huge, amount, huge amounts of personal information, like 100,000 credit card numbers or right. 50 million bank account yeah. numbers. Um, it always becomes a problem and. and uh, our case is the only case in the world when, in fact, we do get our computer uh, uh, entered and somebody does steal a lot of our personal information and go clean out our bank account or use our credit cards to buy stuff or take fabulous trips with their families. Uh, and, unfortunately, law enforcement can't do a huge amount about it. They try, and if the case is big enough, they will prosecute. But as in, 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 as in everything else, we have to take a certain amount of responsibility for our own security, mm-hmm. uh, and that is usernames and passwords, and don't give them out to other people. Well, uh, and I can certainly see, Bob, that uh, if I wanted, for example, if I wanted to, like this uh, Boeing employee that was charged with uh, theft of 320,000 files, leaking, leaking them out because he wanted to be a whistleblower, uh, I could see where... Maybe I could, if I had somebody else's passcode, I could log in with that passcode, making it look like they did it instead of me? Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest problem because uh, then it becomes, uh, to prove your innocence, Right. it comes down to good old-fashioned PI work. Where yeah. was I at the time uh, that my computer was broken into? Yeah. And if you can't, uh, you know, establish a really good alibi, um, you're going to have a problem. And sure, there are lots of innocent people sitting in jail today who uh, did not commit the crime, but they couldn't prove that they were innocent. Right. And uh, our justice system um, looks for, you know, is looking to to find who who did it. And if it points to you and you don't have have a good excuse, you might be it. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think Johan can probably um, expand a little bit more on the security issues. He's um, he has a lot of experience in that area. Okay, and Johan, and yes, and and I, I'm assuming that uh, automatic logins are not something you guys agree with. No, not generally not. Not unless you there's some assurance, there's some way that you can guarantee you're the only one to have access to it. There's been plenty of cases that Bob and I have worked on where we can prove a certain user login had perpetrated certain acts, but there's no way we can prove uh, who actually did it um, based on the the evidence that we had on hand or what the circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And so so having having the uh, the unique unique login and be able to prove that that this person was using this login at this particular time is crucial to to the, to the success of the, any case. 
And as Bob mentioned earlier about some of the acceptable use policies that companies uh, employ, um, actually companies are getting better at it. I think um, uh, a lot of the small, even small companies are getting all, gaining an awareness of the importance of having rules in place. But what we do still see uh, a lack of is the enforcement. It's like having laws on the books, but you don't have any police to uh, actually you know, make make sure that, that people follow the rules. And so certain audits every now and then going back and review that the, the use policies are actually being adhered to would help prevent a lot of these things so that you know, we don't have to deal with an incident response and then folks like uh, Bob and I have to come in, although we're glad to take your money. Yeah. Can, well, I, can I uh, pop in with just a couple little suggestions? Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, one, I was just thinking about it as Johan was speaking, and that is um, I think it's real important that you don't, uh, let's say you're working at your computer and you need to go up, uh, you know, go get a cup of coffee or, you know, take a break for lunch. Uh, number one, the IT department should have your computer set with a fairly short timeout, which mm-hmm. means if you're not sitting there punching keys at the keyboards for more than a minute or two, uh, the, the, the screen's going to go blank and you're going to have to log back in. And okay. it'll take you back to where you started or where you last left off. But at least uh, then you can't get back into it. it companies that have uh, long timeouts, for example, let's say you have a 10-minute timeout right. and you get up to go get a cup of coffee, that literally means that anybody, whoever, whoever it is, could sit down at your, yeah. at your desk, uh, jump onto your computer, and start doing whatever it is they want to do, downloading data, emailing data out. Um, there's, a, there's a myriad of ways to get data out of a company. Just like and, the movies. Uh, so <laughs> your your um, computer needs to, to time itself out, and then and also, you know, if you if one of your uh, cohorts comes in and says, "Hey, uh, Bob, I need to use your computer. Uh, mine had a, a, a glitch or something," and I would say to my friend Johan, who I've known for like twenty years, "Yeah, no problem, Johan. Go ahead and take care of whatever you need to do. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'll be back in a half an hour." That could be a real issue. Right. That could be a, a serious issue. And, and lastly, before I manage to forget, copiers. People don't seem to realize right. that copiers today are computers. You can email from a copier. You can fax from a copier. Uh, just anything. The way they do it is they have hard drives in them. And mm-hmm. there is any copy that's been made on the computer since you got the copier is more than likely still on that copier. Uh, they put big hard drives in them now, and when you turn your copier back into the copy company, a lot of people don't realize this, every copy that was made on the computer, it's still there. And so um, how do you, what do you do about that, Bob? Uh, the, well, there's two things. Um, several of the copier companies have a, an, ex, uh, an additional cost option which will uh, delete every copy as soon as it's made or as, as when something is sent. Now, keeping in mind that deleting off the computer only means that you can't see it. doesn't mean we probably can't get it right. back forensically. Right. Uh, the other thing is when you turn in your copier at the end of the lease or if you're going to you know, get a new one and you sell the old one, I would recommend having them pull the hard drive and giving you the hard drive because then – that uh, data stays with you. It's not going anywhere. Okay. Um, I, hopefully I'm allowed to say this, but one of your competitors, a for-profit TV station, several years ago did uh, an expose. I'll, I'll let it remain nameless, I guess. Okay. All right. And um, the, they went to a used copier company, and they... Uh, pulled a couple hard drives out of a couple copiers, and then with some very simple forensic software, even though everything was deleted, uh, it turned out that they got a police department's confidential informant list and a list of all their narcotics uh, reports for the last three or four years. This is not good. No, that would not be good. They also went to, uh, got another hard drive that was from a doctor's office, and guess what was on that? Thousands of medical records. Yeah. That's yeah. a hip, you know, HIPAA violation. That's exactly. pretty serious stuff. Exactly. All right. We need to take another break, guys. Stay tuned for more from Johan and Bob on data theft and data protection. We'll be right back. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guests, Johan Lai and Bob Radis, are both computer forensic experts as well as being private investigators. And we were just discussing the common mistakes that many businesses make and how their employees protect or how they protect their data so, Bob and Johan, what key points would you like to leave our listeners with today? Well, I'll start off first. And that is, um, and it's always best to give an example. We have a case currently that I can't really discuss, you know, the details. But it was, and, and it's pretty typical. It's a group of employees who felt they could do a better job than the company itself. And they uh, all either resigned or retired or were going to move on. And they basically they stole all the comp- all the company's uh, intellectual property. Okay. The corporation didn't find out about this until all of a sudden their sales dropped by about sixty percent. Um, they came to us, and uh, so you know we started getting into it. But beforehand, what, what's really interesting is um, p- criminals, no matter who they are, make mistakes. Bank robbers make mistakes. Um, you know, the kid who steals a six-pack of beer from the liquor store runs outside and then starts drinking the beer. Right. Uh, data theft uh, criminals make the same mistakes. In fact, in this particular case, um, the one of the employees who left this particular company uh, was asked to bring his laptop back to the company, which he did, and he said um, to the IT guy, well, uh, even if you think we stole anything, you'll never find it because I deleted it from my computer. Mm-hmm. And the IT guy kind of looked him in the eye and he said, well, you know, we've hired some forensic uh, investigators, and even though you've deleted it from your computer, the odds are very good that they're going to be able to recover it. And the IT person told me this person of interest, his face just turned ashen white. Mm. Uh, because, number one, he had admitted that he had stole it. Right. Uh, because he admitted it to the IT person of the company, who then relayed that on to the company. And when he found out it could be recovered, now we have both ends of the equation. It's not a, it's not a pretty sight. Yeah. Um, and the last two things I want to say, and then I'm going to give it over to Johan, is you've got to image early. You've got to get the evidence early. It's like in any kind of case, evidence can be... Uh, misplaced, it can deteriorate, it can be overwritten. Image early, analyze later. Get your computer experts in early, let them do the work they need to do, and if the case is going to go forward in a civil case, uh, you've got the data you can go forward later. 
Well, I think the most important thing for me that you said today was not to turn the computer off. Yeah. I think um, that's the biggest mistake probably most people make. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's a really good point. If you don't turn the computer off and you just isolate it, mm-hmm. it ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, short of the hard drive crashing, which is, or, you know, which is a, a euphemism we use as humans, short of the hard drive failing to operate correctly, which uh, the odds of that are down near slim and none, pretty much, mm-hmm. nowadays, because everything's you know, reasonably uh, reliable. Uh, by leaving the computer on, you're going to get the hard drive. Also, people don't think about this, but there's RAM, our random access memory. We uh-huh. all have it in our computers. It's 8 or 10 gigabytes today, 16. That can be recovered, and a lot of data is in that RAM, so you never want to shut the machine down. Okay. Um, Johan. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. And um, I think uh, you, your listeners probably have a lot of, a lot of small company owners uh, that are online. Right. And hopefully they are able to pick up some of the things that we mentioned. But it may be tempted to think that they may be tempted to think, well, these guys are talking a lot of large company uh, situations, large company cases. But that's generally not the case. I mean, a good deal of our clientele are small companies. And the reason why they end up with us is because they – don't uh, think that it's, it might be a problem uh, hiring their, their cousin or, or their, their buddies from 20 years and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, you, and kind of forget the age-old axiom that, that you don't, you know, your, fr- your friends are your friends and there's business is business. And so, so having the, that acceptable use policy that was mentioned earlier, even when you're a small company, um, really lays the groundwork for any eventualities if, you, if, if a problem arises. And so that that's one of the key preventive uh, actions that, that any company, small, medium, or large, can take uh, going going forward. Johan, are you folks willing to um, have people call you and and ask questions um, and consult with you without actually being hired on the case? Oh, absolutely. We're glad to to field calls uh, to to the extent possible. Um, re- regarding the, the basic basic preventive things that can be done, because um, you know there's just not enough uh, of the awareness of the uh, the, the um, protection, uh, how to protect their their, their data assets um, that needs to get out there, and so and we're glad to provide that that insight. To okay, you want to give your phone number? Sure, Bob. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sure, but um, please don't call me after 10 p.m. <laughs> or before 6 a.m. Because okay. um, I'll let it go to voicemail. But our 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 business phone number is 714-271-2865. And I'll repeat it. Yeah. 714-271-2865. Uh, and we can also be reached by email, which is... The initials SRR for Stephen Robert Radis, SRR at ACT Forensic, A C T F O R E N S I C dot com. Okay. All right. And so, um, do you work only in California or do you work other places? Um, our second firm motto is have computer will travel. I can, okay. All right. So you can go do an evaluation anywhere? Yes. You can yeah. image a computer. On right. location, or you can take it to back to a secure site. Right. The o- the only caveat I would uh, put in there is de- it may depend on the private investigator licensing requirements of some of the other states. Yeah. Uh, some states, you know, have PI license requirements, uh, and because we are licensed and we hold ourselves out as private investigators. Uh, we would have to either do reciprocity in another state, or if it's a state that doesn't have licensing, then it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Most states do now, however. Yeah. Um, I think it's only yeah, about some three states that don't. even go beyond, and if I'm picking Texas, they actually require computer forensics investigators to be private investigators. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a big controversy that uh, uh, whether computer forensics folks should be private investigators, isn't it? It is, and... Um, this is how we look at it. Uh, when I left the sheriff's department and I um, got my private investigator's license, I did it because it adds a layer of credibility. Yeah. Uh, it also adds a layer of responsibility. And um, I think that, you know, like I said earlier, 
you want to hire someone who is technically competent and uh, responsible uh, and is licensed. If you had a choice between a licensed and a non-licensed person and you were comfortable with their equal uh, technical capabilities, I would go with a licensed person mm-hmm. because if something does go wrong, you have recourse right. or more recourse. No one's going to risk their license uh, to do something that is uh, questionable. Right. At least I wouldn't risk my license. Good point. Yeah. You know, I found um, when I was uh, looking into doing your show here, Bob and Johan, I found a document written by an attorney by the name of Craig Ball of Austin, Texas. He's a board-certified trial lawyer, and he's also an accredited computer forensic examiner, but he limits his practice to um, service as a court-appointed special master. Mm. And he's an instructor and consultant in electronic evidence. And he has a document online that you can get by Googling it called First Responder's Guide to Employee Data Theft. So you might want to, you guys might want to look at that, but for our listeners, this is a kind of a good little tutorial on uh, what you should do. So it's First Responder's Guide to Employee Data Theft by Craig Ball. And uh, I thank you both for being here today. I, you know, it's really interesting. I know there's a, a lot more we could talk about uh, that we can't do within this hour, but I think uh, you've hit the key points, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you for having us, Francie. It was uh, really nice. It was kind of fun. It's a little bit different than what we usually do, and we enjoyed <laughs> being uh, your guest. Yeah, yeah, a little different. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Francie. Okay. And then I just want to say upcoming shows next week will be uh, a topic called Without Permission with Deborah Johnson on Human Trafficking. And don't forget, starting October 26th, PIC Classified will be hosting a series on exonerees in partnership with the Santa Clara University's Northern California Innocence Project. So again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators as PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Francie. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.